Hi, everybody. It's Max Prados, and you are listening to the Shoulder to Shoulder podcast, second to none, bringing you the LAFC gospel. Hello and welcome to episode 80 of Shoulder to Shoulder Podcast, telling stories from the LAFC community match by match, fan by fan, broadcaster by broadcaster. Tonight we have none other than the soccer OG himself, Mr. Max Bredos. But before we get into our interview portion of the show with our illustrious guest, boys, I want to run through news and notes. Joining me as always is Chris and Christian. Good evening, gentlemen. How are you boys doing tonight? Doing well. Looking forward to this interview with Max and talking a little bit of LAFC news and notes here shortly. Yeah, everything's going good, man. You know, it's uh, it's been a good good week. Looking forward to this interview. Love having love talking to Max. He's always a lot of fun, so I can't wait for the interview. Well, before we get into our conversation with Max, we have a bunch of news around MLS and LAFC. We're going to go ahead and start with some international call-ups for our academy boys. Duenas, Leone, Torres, all making their debut for L-Tree's U-17 teams. Do not worry if you were hoping for them to one day appear for the USA squad. They are dual eligible and at this point in time have not declared that they will be with the Mexican national team permanently. They could also sign up with Team USA later on. But for the moment, the boys are heading south of the border to get some experience with L3. So what are your thoughts on our trio of young starlets joining the Mexican national team U17 side? I'm happy for them. Getting exposure, getting some reps, being able to play for a national team to get that experience is important. Unfortunately, they're not, they haven't been identified by the U.S. men's national team at this point for the under-17s. But, you know, Mexico sees things here north of the border that they like. I think they, they've had a handful of players that they've asked to join their team in the last couple of years. So I'm happy for them. You know, they've made a lot of strides in the last few years. And to think that I don't think they're even 18 yet. So breaking into first team and now getting you know, noticed by uh, the Mexican national team, that has to give them a boost in confidence and make them feel like they're doing all the right things and LAFC is kind of coaching them up to be able to be noticed in that way. Yeah, just to echo what Christian was saying, it's great. Anytime that any of our players get called up to represent an international team, whether it's at the U-17 level or at a first team level, it's great. It's great experience for them. It gives them the opportunity to expand their horizons and see an elevated level of play, which ultimately will carry back to when they come to the play at the club level. Happy for these boys. A lot of big things. I mean, imagine where they were at a year ago. Look at these three young men and how this last year has changed their whole lives. And it's, it's an exciting time for them. And I really hope that they live in the moment and enjoy it and come back ready to uh, show us what they learned. Definitely hoping this is a big piece of their development and excited to see what they might offer LAFC next season. Of course, that brings us to our second piece of news and notes, where we might actually be able to catch a few more games featuring Messieurs Duenas, Leone, and Torres. Might be taking that trip to Vegas, baby. So, the big news this week, LAFC in a potential agreement with USL affiliate Las Vegas Lights. So Jeff Ryder has reported that LAFC would cover the sporting and technical side housed in LA and cover travel to Vegas for games while the lights would run their business operations. None of this has been submitted to USL yet. So this is all still speculative at the moment, but it does appear as though we have had a partnership with Las Vegas Lights in the past, and that partnership could become an official USL affiliate. So you boys ready to hit them blackjack tables? What's up? I think it'll be interesting. I have a feeling that this is more so a short-term association with this uh, USL side, just because I think that LAFC would like to have their own USL team that's specifically associated with the club unless this ends up working out and they want to make a long-term deal but uh, it's going to be an exciting time it gives some of our lower level or younger players opportunities to get first team minutes hopefully 
it's an interesting situation though, because sometimes you look at players that go out on loan to the USL teams and they still don't get a lot of minutes. You know, we've loaned out players to USL sides before and some of them get some good minutes and some of them still kind of just sit there and don't really get an opportunity to play. And that was the whole point of sending them down on loan was to give them in-game live minutes. And so it just depends on how the situation plays out, but hopefully it ends up being the best case scenario for LAFC. I agree. I think it's a good thing if we can get some of the younger player minutes. I do agree with you. It's probably short term just because they've built the academy from, you know, young teens up and now they're starting to age into the 16 to 17, 18 age. And uh, until we have, I think, 20 or so players of that age or enough players that can go down to have our own LAFC2 or a USL affiliate that is here in the LA area or Southern California area. This is the best of both worlds where you don't have to do the business infrastructure and then still have your players potentially get some more repetitions. The other exciting part, if you are you know, in the weeds as a LAFC supporter or fan, you can go to Vegas and probably bet in stadium. That'd be cool. And they they do all kinds of wacky stuff, just like a minor league game there. So it could be fun if you're there for the weekend anyway, you're trying to see some of the players that are potentially coming up and trying to break into the first team. Can I play video poker from my seat in the stadium? That's what I really want to know. And if the answer is yes, then I'm on my way. But that brings us to a very interesting road trip idea there. I think Vegas road trips, uh, 32-52. Man, that could be fun. I'm very excited about it. I think it would be a great partnership. I love that it is close enough where we could still get to go see them, but far enough that it still feels like an away day and a road trip. And obviously, any chance to go to Vegas, come on now, Vegas, baby. That's something I'm just super excited about. Our next bit of news brings us to a finalization of our discussion on the CBA. It appears as though the Players Union and owners have agreed on a CBA. The owners get what they want, they flex their muscle, and have an agreement in place that will extend through the 2027 season. Players got some consolation prizes in the form of a 100% salary guarantee for 2021 along with their bonuses and some expansion of the free agent rule, lowering the restrictions to four years of service at 24 years of age. So, boys, obviously we're all happy the games are going to be played, but what is your thought of ownership getting what they want in the CBA discussions? You know, it's interesting. So I was on earlier on Clubhouse, uh, which is, you know, this new great app for people to uh, listen and talk to, and I was actually talking to Alexi Lawless about this. The CBA coming through, it's a good thing right now for soccer in America. This would have been a really bad time for there to be a lockout or anything like that. And I know that when it comes to collective bargaining, there has to be give and take and compromise typically on both sides. And a lot of times people want to evaluate who a winner was and which side won. Unfortunately, there is always going to be a disagreement on who got the better shake out of this deal. But I think that the MLS as a whole really got the best deal of all because we're going to continue to see our boys on the pitch. And uh, these players are still going to be able to continue with their development. And the ones that are looking for ambitions to move on to Europe are going to be able to have that continuity and continue to still play, which gives them more opportunities to showcase what they have and move on to Europe if that's where they want to be or those last players that want to have that opportunity to play in the MLS just because that's the level that they're at. So, you know, it's, it's a good thing on all fronts. I understand that there are some concessions that had to be made. But I think at the end of the day, both parties are happy with the result that there's still going to be play this season without a lockout. I agree that I'm happy that there's no good lockout that's going to happen. But I do think that the owners played this well for themselves. Right. What I mean by that is, of course, you know, some of these players may or may not be here by 26, 27. So you're kind of dangling full salary and bonuses now in order for them to vote and ratify this. So it was the right move if I'm an owner and trying to get this done, uh, cut my losses because of last year not being so good. But it, it is, you, you will say in the counter argument to that is, you know, they're making an upfront investment, even though they may know that this year is going to be another shortfall. So like you said, Chris, there's some give and take here. So what I do think is a good thing is that free agent rule for the 24 well, after four years of service, that that is a good thing to be able to give players the power to move and not always have to be held to the contracts 
just because I think after a certain amount of time, you want to be able to not be in a situation. It reminds me of Lee Wynn, where he was at New England for a long time. And after a few years, he wasn't happy there. And he was probably one of the first versions of a holdout until he got traded to LAFC. So it's an interesting thing that that's been shortened to give uh, more players more freedom to be able to move and kind of bet on themselves to do so. The other piece here that the salary cap is going to be increased is welcome news for all fans as well, especially LAFC fans, of course. Uh, we know that uh, I believe 2026 has a 7% increase, and then uh, 2027 will have a 10% increase. Uh, so minimal, but uh, still some salary cap increases, uh, especially after that World Cup bump. Speaking of tournaments like the World Cup, the U.S. Open tournament has announced dates for this year. So we know that uh, we're going to see five rounds this year, and it will begin May 4th and end in June 30th, a competition that LAFC are desperately looking to claim. Do you guys have any thoughts about the announcement of the U.S. Open Tournament? Apart from being happy that it's happening, no, I'm happy that, that it's also not going to be that deep into the season because I think after June, it kind of gets into the lead-up to the playoffs or crunch time. And also when there is some potential transfers for some of the teams to move some players so i'm looking forward to it and i, I do think we're going to have a deep enough team where uh, we're going to be able to compete on multiple cups multiple competitions uh, as well as the league and getting a higher seed this year you know just a couple of the changes in terms of the teams that are participating 24 teams are going to be participating there's going to be four teams in the open division four teams from the division three which two of the nine eligible sides will be from the nisa and then two of them will be from the USL League One. In Division Two, there's going to be eight teams that are coming from the USL Championship squads. And then there's also only going to be eight teams from the MLS-based clubs. It says eight of the 24 USA-based MLS clubs will enter at the round of 16 on May 18th to 19th, with each facing one of eight winners of the open round. The mechanism to be used to determine the participating teams for the 2021 Open Cup will be announced in the coming weeks. So, you know, that is a change that I'm not necessarily the most excited for because only one third of the teams in the MLS are going to be able to participate based off of how they decide to allow teams to participate. So, you know, that that's I would say a bit of a disappointment, but yeah, I kind of liked the parallels to the FA cup where everyone was involved and it bracketed its way down and you could have those Cinderella stories, but uh, I guess we'll give it the benefit of a year of seeing it to see if it, it pans out. Speaking of tournaments, we do have changes to Conca champions as well too. Beginning in 2023, there is the new 16 team knockout model, which is going to be a very interesting dynamic. We know that, Canada gets an increased spot, so there are now two Canadian spots available. So basically half of the MLS teams in Canada are going to get into Concord Champions no matter what happens. We know that MLS is going to see some expanded slots and participation as well, too, at the expense of some of those Central and Caribbean American teams that are going to get fewer slots. What are your guys' thoughts on an expanded SCCL? I think it's good. I think that uh, we saw that there was a lot of good competition and I think having this expanded model allows for more teams to get in and ultimately giving it's, it's an exciting time when your club is playing in an international competition. It's, it's very much exciting and it's something to get behind. And I think that a lot more people are going to look forward to this tournament now that more teams are able to compete in it. I agree. I'm just interested how the league's cup and then there's the Champions League and uh, Campeones Cup. You know, there's going to be multiple cups, especially uh, some of the higher-seeded teams who did well last year are going to be able to compete in. But expanding the, the Champions League is always a big thing. And we're recording Tuesday week of the uh, World Cup club final where now Tigres is going to play Bayern. So, you know, it is a good opportunity for MLS clubs to be able to finally break through. And uh, if it's expanded and we can represent and have a big final with a big European or South American team, that is the goal. I mean, it's something that I'm looking forward to and the more teams, the better. And, you know, actually, so there is the 16 team knockout, but originally it's going to start with 20 clubs and they're each going to have 
five divisions with four teams in each club and they're going to play a home and away round robin kind of like the European Champions League where they have uh, the round robin of the of the four teams in each one and then the top two teams from those are the ones that that move on. You make a brilliant point there Chris when Europe expanded its Champions League model to more teams in a similar way that the SCCL is going. We saw a lot of increased buzz around Champions League in Europe, and it was very positive for them. Uh, so hopefully those same things pan out here on our side of the pond as well, too. I think we're all just still a little bitter at that tournament and really thinking it could be us facing Bayern right now. I mean, you even look at – yeah, I know. You look at Tigres now and and uh, how the fact that they're going and facing Bayern Munich, it's uh, definitely one of those things where you look as an LAFC fan, you're like, man, that – that could be us. That could have been us right there. Yes. Well, I still think Byron's probably going to squeak by and, and they might've just, <laughs> just barely edged us out as well too. Uh, a couple, couple good players on that. Bayern hey, team, you so. know, hey, but you know what, uh, what was it? LAC had a one, one draw against uh, Borussia Dortmund. So you know, anything's you possible. A very, very good point. Anything is possible. Anything is possible. Man, just imagine if we had two legs and we got to see Bayern Munich come to the bank. Oh, man. Thomas Muller, Manuel Neuer. Would have been so cool. Oh, well. One last little bit of of news and notes before we get to our interview with Max. We have some additional information that has been leaked about the Brian Rodriguez transfer clause. Uh, Apparently, Raito's triggered clause is somewhere between 11 and $19 million, depending on his performance incentives that trigger that clause. So obviously that is a huge gap there. And I think at $19 million, we would all be happy. And at $11 million, I think we'd all obviously feel a little bit different about that entire transfer. So I'm curious what you guys think of that dollar amount. Is 11 enough? Is 19 too much? Uh, and what do you think is actually going to be the dollar amount when Raito sells? I think that some of it is going to be about whether or not Uday Almeria moves up and gets promoted. I think that that's going to be a huge significant thing in the clause. And where they're sitting right now in third is promising. Can you guys remind me, what did we pay for Brian? Wasn't it around $11 million? And if it was around $11 million, that means that we pretty much are selling him for what we paid for him, which that's, I don't know. That yeah, just but remember, sense. not all of that money goes back to LAFC. Because when you sell a player, some of that money goes to the league. Those percentages have changed. Plus, there's like some agent fees involved as well, and, too. So if you and buy there's someone, a sell-on. Then yeah, there's we, also a sell-on rights that, that, we're, right. uh, that we owe back to Peñarol. I think we paid um, so, six point six mil. So if you know, oh, if, okay. if if the if the floor is at eleven million dollars based on the clause, LAFC's trying to at least minimum double their money almost, right? So it's not a bad investment. I don't know what the stipulations on them bringing them on were and what that the finances and how that gets sliced up. But to me, it sounds like a decent investment. In two years, you flip your money and get twice as much. I'll take that. So. Oh, yeah. That's yeah. I, knowing that now, knowing that it was around six million dollars, does definitely makes me feel a little bit better about the, the two ends of that spectrum of what we potentially could get, or we could just get Brian Rodriguez back as a whole, which I'm okay with. Well, I think uh, at eleven million dollars, I think we would about break even uh, by the time you pay all the fees to the league and everyone else. Uh, we might end up making a million or so dollars uh, on the transaction, which I suppose is not bad business. But I think when we acquired Raito, we all thought the transfer fee was going to be north of 20 million. I don't yeah. think we thought it was going to be in the 10 to 20 range. Scratch that. I'm mistaken. We did get them at 11.5. So we're breaking even scratch all that. Not even. Yeah. yeah. So you would lose money. Yeah. I Just thought I remember redact, redact that warm fuzzy feeling that I was yeah. having. <laughs> yeah. Uh, I thought I remembered somebody saying we had to sell him for like 15.6 to make money. And anything less than 15.6, and we were going to be losing money. But it was a long time ago that I read that article, uh, and I'm drawing a complete blank. And uh, probably should have done some better homework on this portion of the show. But I think we're just so excited that Max is coming on the show. Uh, We were focusing our efforts there. Uh, So with that, that'll go ahead and wrap up the first half of today's show. We're going to go ahead and dive into our interview with the man, the myth, the legend, 
Max Barretos. Joining us now is Max Barretos, broadcasting legend, our play-by-play announcer for LAFC. Max has been with LAFC since day one, providing amazing content, not only via play-by-play, with his podcast Inside LAFC, a YouTube channel, as well as a multitude of multimedia performances for the black and gold. Max has a storied career in football broadcasting prior to LAFC. From Fox Soccer Channel to Sky Sports to ESPN Sports Center, he is truly an icon of the sport for generations of fans. In addition to his work in football, Max's career has spanned a number of arenas from mixed martial arts to combat sports, rugby, modeling, and of course, the TV co-host of our favorite show, Splatter Factor. Senor Bretos, welcome to Shoulder to Shoulder Podcast, sir. Need a guitar solo after that intro. That was, I don't know what to say. That's, I mean, that was fantastic, but I much appreciated and great to be with you guys. Long overdue, but uh, looking forward to having some fun with you guys this evening. I just thank you very much for coming on and and making some time for us. Like you said, it it has been a long time in the works and no better time than the present to have you on. Uh, Looking forward to season four. How about you, Max? Yes. And now with the uh, the CBA, we should be expecting the players to arrive here in about 10 days. No, about two weeks. So that may get pushed back, but that's exciting deadline coming up. And then obviously the season, which was expected to start April 3rd and 4th. So, I mean, I was, I had my guard up with this whole discussions and, you know, I didn't think they would have a lockout, but you know, you read stuff and you get worried. So I'm glad that they were able to resolve everything and uh, upwards and onwards. And I hope everyone's happy. I know these kind of situations are sticky and everyone has to concede a bit, but I think that's the best part of it. People make concessions and we're going to get, we're going to get some games. Yeah. I think as long as we get games, players get paid a fair amount, the league advances, everybody's happy. Right. We understand that financial times are unpredictable and have been very difficult for owners and players alike. Just happy to see that they finally come together on an agreement and hopefully everyone's happy with it. And it's not another situation where we're looking at strikes or lockouts anytime again in the future. No one ever wants to see that. MLS cannot afford a lockout or strike, especially this time of during COVID. I mean, no other other leagues are doing their best to avoid them at all costs. And MLS did well. And the MLSPA, we should say, for moving forward. What what do you do in the preseason to warm up yourself? That's a great question because it's very difficult. I actually recently got to call some games for Comebol, the Libertadores and Sudamericana, busting this guy's chops. And he said, all right, I I actually fly into Miami sometimes to call them. And thank goodness just to get those reps of calling games because uh, I keep pretty sharp by doing stuff at home. Honestly, even doing a podcast with you guys goes a long way to getting me into uh, peak conditions. So I just try to do as much as I can. I think it's also important to try and keep up appearances. So I cut my hair, I shave, I bathe to make sure (laughs) I'm broadcast ready at all times. But all those things, I try to fill it up. I I just, I go to my safety valve and I go, just try and watch as much soccer as as humanly possible. One of the good things about the pandemic, obviously there's, there's no fans at the games, but one of the good things is there's games every day and uh, watching that and reacting has kind of kept me on my toes. So there's a lot of rust there and you've got to, you know, I haven't put us, I barely put a suit on that often. Maybe I should just wear a suit around the house, but all those things you got to kind of build up towards, but this all helps. We should send the challenge, man. Drop the gauntlet. Dave Denholm did his uh, fantasy rendition of the play-by-play. We should see. Maybe, maybe Max, you uh, do the same thing, man. You uh, just do a play-by-play announcement out of the imagination. It's not a – It's not a, Yeah, well, it's, even just for my own wherewithal, whether it's for public consumption, it's not a bad idea because I'm sure Dave – that was a great idea and it went over great. And that was like in the – right in the thick of – the pandemic where things were really bleak. So I, that gave a lot of hope to hear it. And I know Dave more than anything would have said that kept me on my toes and fresh and broadcast ready. Yeah, that was incredibly impressive what he did. And by all means, go ahead and check out the episode of Shoulder to Shoulder podcast featuring Dave Denholm, where we discuss the faux traffico available on all your podcast platforms. So with that, um, uh, seems like uh, the players have the training pitch. You have a training pod, but thank you again, sir, for joining us. It is an absolute honor to have you here. You have been the face and voice of the beautiful game for, I hate to say it, sir, but a couple generations of us who have come up in this game in the United States, you are truly an icon uh, and still in your prime with what we hope our uh, future generation (laughs) after generation to come that gets to enjoy your work, sir. So thank you. But as much as you have done for the beautiful game here in the United States, we are curious when the beautiful game came into your life and when you fell in love with football, sir. 
the beautiful game was always a bit of a mystery. I remember 1986 World Cup. I was 14. <laughs> And my dad had some business in Mexico. I remember the World Cup was going on there and the whole Maradona phenomenon. And I saw that. And initially, I hated him just because my initial reaction is always to hate the great ones. God, this guy. I want the, I always put, not hate the, that's the wrong way to put it. I always pulled for the underdogs. So I want to see these smaller countries do well. And then he was so impressive. And then, you know, it hit me a little bit later. And I, I finished college and then I came to LA and I wanted to get into sports. So this was like 1995. And I always was intrigued by soccer and I looked around and there was, there was no, it wasn't anywhere. There was a game on Monday night, the ESPN did for the premier league. And then Derek Ray and Tommy Smith did like a champions league game once a week. Other than that, you'd have to go to blockbuster and get a tape. So uh, I kind of sought it. And then when there was, there was a lot on Spanish television. So that was really where I listened to most of it. And, you know, without question, I would say Andres Cantor, and I've told him this is like, it was a big part of why the hook got into me. And I, I just saw how he presented it. And, you know, he was, you know, calling games back then. He's still the, the best in the business in 2021 in either language, in my estimation. So he was a big part of it. And then when I went to Fox, it was prime sports and I couldn't do, it was just in Spanish. So I couldn't call the games, but then there was an opportunity where they splintered the channels. Since we can show all these games in Spanish, we'll show them in English. And we need someone to do the English commentary. There was a guy who did it. And then I kept bugging them. How do I do it? They go, no, no. And then there was like Argentine league. And the guy who did it goes, I can't, they're basically doing six games a day. He goes, I, I need to, I can't call six games a day. This is on, this is, I'm not exaggerating. So I said, I'll take the Argentine off your lap. I, I did it for free. And I called the Sunday game. So, you know, my real first exposure was, you know, the big game in Argentina with River or Boca or Racing, San Lorenzo, Independiente, and Newell's. And you'd see these players that were 15, 16, like Carlos Tevez, Sergio Aguero, Juan Roman Riquelme. And I'd watch them. And I'd, that's when I was like, this is what I want to do without question. I love it. I was learning on the job. I didn't know about these clubs. You know, I remember when I heard Schalke 04, I was like, what? What's, what's the 04? And they go, oh, it was established in 1904. I go, that's so cool. So little things I learned and I just, more I learned, I loved about loved it. But I was getting in this industry. I was, I say this all the time. I was really fortunate because I was at a place which was mass producing games and I was there and they needed somebody and I threw myself in there. And then, you know, the rest was kind of history. I got to call one game a week, then two games, and then it just grew. But on the job is where I really learned to, I love the sport, but on that job is where I just completely unadulterated fell in love. Did you have any game calling experience before that? Especially like soccer, football, it's not easy to be able to keep the momentum of the game without getting in the way. No, I didn't. Uh, Christian, I didn't have it. And uh, it was a situation where you would, and my boss kept saying it, you would imitate guys that you liked. So it was a little Andres Cantor. There was a guy who called the Argentine games called Marcelo Arajo who was the best. He was a guy that modeled himself. He called the games, but he sang it. And there was this humor to it and levity. And I never heard it before. And I go, that's the guy. That's what I want to do. I want to bring fun and, and make people laugh and make people get emotional with these things. So I kind of imitated him a bit. I tell young people in the industry, you've got to create your own voice, but it's hard because when you don't have that experience, you kind of lean into some things that you heard before. So I'm sure there's tape, you'll hear it. I'm just imitating guys I know. And eventually you learn to kind of do it, but it was all of that was on the job without very little experience. And even, you know, five, six years into it, I didn't really have the schooling behind it to learn about certain things. So I was kind of naive to a lot of things and, and it took me a little longer to learn them, but that was just mass production, get in there and call games, which I did. So let's talk about your early career prior to becoming a sports broadcaster. We know you went through some time as a model and you got to enjoy that sort of life, you know, graduating college out of Florida. So what was the career path that led you to broadcasting? Florida State, first of all. So I just have to fix, correct that. But it, you're correct. It was the state of, <laughs> it was the state of Florida, though. <laughs> If I had more time, I'll give you a funny story about Florida State, Florida. But uh, my my dad didn't know anything about sports, so he uh, he got me a he, he'd always ask me, "Hey, Florida." He tried to to because he saw that I was watching the, the Florida State games all the time, so he tried to bridge the gap. And then he'd watch something on the news. He'd go, "Hey, Florida State looked good against LSU." I go, "No, Dad, that was Florida." He goes, "Oh." But one day he got me the license plate, and it was a gift. And when I opened it, it said Florida on it. I go, "Dad, I went to Florida State." 
this is Florida. So I went to the DMV to return it. They go, you can't return it. You got to drive around with it for a year and then return it, which was sounded like the dumbest thing ever. But I drove around it for a year. It was awful. Anyhow, I didn't know I was going <laughs> to share that story. I will say this. When I was at ESPN, the modeling photos came out. It was very short-lived. But what happened was when I finished college and uh, I was like, some guy goes, just go there, see what it's like to go to Italy and kind of fend for yourself. So I know a lot of people said, don't do it. And I said, I'm going to do it. And my mom really, I got to give her credit. She said, do it. You're going to appreciate it. So I went to Italy. I was by myself. You make friends, you find a way to survive, you find a way to make money, which is what I did. I mean, I did, we got, a, I got a couple modeling jobs, but a lot of the stuff was just odd jobs. You know, I was mixing cement, you know, doing all sorts of things to make ends meet, which we did, but it was a, it was a great experience. And that allowed me to have the courage to kind of do that trip to LA. Cause uh, that was easy now in comparison, I was pretty sheltered coming out of college. So I don't know if I would do it, but that was uh, the, the opening up to my career. Cause prior to that, I mean, I wasn't really scholastic. I was I was kind of a, I mean, I, I wasn't, I didn't know, I knew what I wanted to do, but I didn't. And I just kind of thought I could wait it out. And that kind of sped up the pace. So, you know, I know a lot of people figure out, I want to do this when I'm 13, 14. I knew I wanted to do this, but I didn't say it to myself. But that trip allowed me to figure out that, okay, now you, you know what you're going to do. You have to play some catch up here. Go and do it. What other stories do you have in terms of uh, sports that you were involved in? We know that you, at least out here, we see you on social media playing rugby on the beach or with others. But uh, how, does, uh, how does that sport come into play in your life? Look, you, well, you guys didn't say that. Uh, earlier, but this is a, and I don't say it a lot because it was so long, but when I was five years old, my dad got a job opportunity and we moved the family to Australia and I lived there till I was 12. So we kind of picked up all the Australian sports, which was rugby, cricket, Australian rules, football, and rugby. I just enjoyed it. People have a bad, have, you know, perception of it being this violent sport, which it isn't. It's very controlled. It's uh, it has a strict set of rules that you have to abide by. And there, everything is about proper technique. And I just, I loved it. I liked cricket too, but rugby, when I, when I came back to the States, eventually I've heard these rugby clubs and I played at the Miami Trident rugby club when I was 16. And then when I went to Florida state, I played for Florida state rugby. It wasn't like your typical collegiate team. We didn't have enough players. We had some guys locally from Tallahassee play. So it wasn't like your typical NCAA scholastic sport. And then when I came to LA, I didn't know anybody. And I reached out to the Santa Monica Rugby Club. And it was the greatest thing I ever did because immediately I had friends, drinking buddies, more importantly. And uh, I also got guys who had some odd jobs for me. And we would, you know, I did get a little extra money with that. So it was great. And I had something to do on the weekends. So I played that for, you know, till about 2010. And then I'd still like to play. I'm 48 now. So I just got to be very careful. I, we play uh, on the beach where you just touch. So it's not too crazy, but I played in a tournament in Aspen like three years ago. And I got, <laughs> I got messed up pretty. I'm like, what am I doing? It was fun, but it hurt. I have a lot of friends who play rugby and it is a sport where you definitely get your fair share of bodily injuries. Nothing, I mean, extreme, but black eyes, you know, lots of bruises, fun stuff. Pretty much every game, it seems like they come back with. So maybe it's time to transition to cricket. We'll get you to that <laughs> other down under sport there. It might be a little easier for you. I know. but If they play it, I, I'd play it. But those guys are really good. But I, I enjoy watching it. I can't watch too, too many stretches, but uh, it's a great sport. The only problem with that is that I enjoy soccer so much because the best players are there on the field all the time and they determine the outcome. And in sports like cricket and even American football, when these athletes aren't out there the whole time, I go, how, how can we really judge them as being a great player? I mean, you know who the great players are, but only sports like soccer and maybe basketball or the individual sports like tennis and golf. Can you actually say these are the best players in the world? And that's why the soccer is at the top of the list because, the great ones determine every game in important games. That's why we hold Ronaldo and Messi and Carlos Vela in our world so highly, because if they don't perform, then the team doesn't. It's just that simple. Well, we know where your loyalties lie within the world of proper football, but what's your cricket team? What's your rugby team? Who are you pulling for with some flat stick or uh, you know, some of that oblong ball? I love that expression. That was some good flat stick. I pull for Australia in the internationals. When uh, the, the rugby league comes out, I, I follow uh, – the Waratahs, who were from New South Wales, which is the state we lived in. 
And um, the Aussie rules is what I enjoy too. I follow Col- that Collingwood's my team. And that was actually a good sport during the pandemic because they came back before everything else. So it was something to watch. But yeah, that. West Indies. I like West Indies yeah. as well, but they're just, they just can't compete with the Australias and the Englands and the Indias right now. Aussie rules football is underrated. I would stay up. Great you know, TV sport. It's great. It's great. Do you have a team, Christian? No. I, I, you got to pick one. Well, what was the team you just said? That's my team now. <laughs> Collingwood. But yeah, it's like, I mean, there's maybe watch something grabs you. Maybe a color, maybe a, a mascot or something. But if not, you, yeah, pop no. on in the, the, no, the mat. Yeah, the, what's the team that's black and white? That's Collingwood. That's what yes, I said. That's the team. That's All right, team. you're in. Yeah. yeah. We'll get yeah, together so, at 3 a.m. and watch a game. <laughs> let's do it. I showed my wife during the beginning of the pandemic, you know, we were watching just reruns of anything that we could, could grab for sports. Right. And so I would watch rugby, you know, here and there, nothing, nothing crazy serious, but I, you know, I grew up playing tackle football my whole life. So, I mean, watching rugby, it, you know, similar in the sense of the contact and the ball and stuff. So I was showing my wife and she, she was just like getting all giddy and stuff every time that there's contact because it's, they're having like contact with no pads and stuff like that. And so she loved it. So we actually watched a good amount of rugby uh, during the pandemic. It was, uh, it was great. Well, Chris, I will tell you this American football is the, is, I don't know if you classify it as a tougher sport, but it's a, uh, it's the, uh, the higher impact sport because those collisions are, I mean, I don't see them like in rugby. They, there's some rules in place. It's tough, but I mean, I'd be terrified to run in to a nose tackle who's three thirty who can hit me from any direction and just cream me. That's scary in my world. I went down to Wellington for a sevens tournament. And if you ever get a chance in your life, anybody listening to go to a sevens tournament, which is seven on seven rugby, seven minute halves all day. It, it is Same. such a circus. Oh, it's a, it's a carnival. They shut down the whole city. You could, everybody's drinking and wearing costumes and it's like let's Mardi Gras. Road trip. Let's do a road trip. Hong Kong. Let's oh, go. <laughs> let's go. It is a lot of fun. Rugby's uh, almost as much fun in the stands and, and in the circus outside of the sport as the sport itself. But that's a big part of the, of the appeal for me. Now that we've officially lost everyone by getting completely derailed from the proper football <laughs> game here. So uh, how does football as a profession enter your life from uh you know returning to the united states and, and living in the united states after your experiences abroad how did your career path land you your first gig calling the game i would say this about football football soccer i mean i i want to call it football by the way i'm all in with bob but i mean i know that's a that's a, a slippery slope right now but we'll see one day i was so terrible as a, a player and i think christian can uh can point this out when we played iron maiden and it was it was like I'm pretty adept at sports, but uh, soccer, I just never could grasp it. And when I'd watch it play at a high level, I'm like, man, this is amazing. These He's guys- still in the doghouse for that, by the way, because he knows I'm a huge Iron Maiden fan and he did not invite me to come down there. First and I will all, never let him forget probably, it. To do at, at that point, I did not know you were a huge fan. And I didn't. That was yeah. probably my fault. I didn't, I wanted to. I wanted a bunch of people to come out, but I didn't know how many and then who do I tell it? And I know Christian brought, came up and I go, yeah, come on out. And, but it, it, and I didn't know it was going to go off as well as it did. We got really lucky because um, they showed up, they wanted a proper game. I didn't get a referee. I didn't have goals. I just showed up and thought we like, and they're like, no, we need goals. So they paid the guys to leave the goals and they paid the referee to stick around. So I was like, okay, now we're on. But my organizational skills fell a little below standard, but thankfully they were there to kind of pick it up. Max was being nice too. I was bothering him. I was blowing up like. I was blowing him up every day. <laughs> so yeah. I go, you're in my friend. Yeah. I was well, so, now, so now we know, you know, I mean, they were going to have another heavy metal concert uh, this past summer. You know, maybe we could have gotten system of a down to play us uh, some footy, maybe. you know, and we would have had the proper net and referee. So we know for future, we'll just make it a tradition. Correct. And we did it in, in, where the, uh, the Academy trained. I would say that we talked about that. And the one band that came up that has like a guy with some soccer, know how are Foo Fighters and then I think it's the drummer from Tool likes likes the sport so maybe if they toured we could probably get a game so there you go Danny Carey Danny Carey the drummer from Tool absolute legend my favorite band all time. I don't know if it's the drummer or the bass but I think it's the drummer he's English right uh so that would be Justin Chancellor their bass player who okay, is maybe English. it was him yeah, by the way, Danny Carey is a huge basketball fan but and again Max please be sure to include <laughs> I, I can already I can already see the text summit against Bank of California Stadium. Tool will be performing with the Foo Fighters. Get me in there. 
By the way, you're cutting yourself short. You did pretty good. I mean, we had a decent team, but they they were very true blue British players. They were they were holding nothing back. Well, yeah. I didn't tell you this, but there were some ringers from Santa Monica. They weren't. They go. They just called us and paid us to play. I go. Oh, okay. So there you go. They were I mean, well equipped. Yeah, I hadn't played. I think in like five months. So you know, I I thought I did okay. I thought we did good. It just kind of got away from us at the end, but that's where it is. I mean, just to, to, to finish that point, Jonathan, it's just like watching some, the guys play at a high level, just, you know, it was breathtaking for me. And I said, I can't play this, but boy, I want to be involved with it. And I have the highest respect for what they do. And that's why, you know, being a broadcaster made a lot of sense and calling games. It's the best. It's very liberating because you don't have to go to commercials. You don't have to really be overproduced. It's you, you're calling the game. And once I got a hold of that and what to do that, I was like, this is, this is my happy place. Well, uh, and who knew it lead you to uh, being able to put in a, a nice slide tackle on Steve Harris, right? So, uh, you know, that's uh, that's pretty amazing how it how it comes around. I think he so slid tackle me. <laughs> yeah, probably two footed. I would imagine as well too, from what I hear. So, uh, describe a little bit how uh, you started with broadcasting, where you were working, and how your career sort of took you from broadcasting games to to landing the gig with LAFC, and and what that initial conversation with the Black and Gold family was like, and why you decided to come over uh, and take the best gig in sports with us. It's true. So the Fox Soccer Channel thing went from '96 until 2010, and I was happy there. But uh, I wasn't really getting better at what I did. And I knew there was a clock in me that said, I need to push myself and get out of my comfort zone. This is really comfortable. And uh, it turned out to be good because once I, I left, Fox Soccer kind of went in a lot of different directions. And who knows what would have happened if I stayed there. But I knew I needed to get better. And there were an opportunity. You know, I called games for 14 years. It was an incredible place to work because I called. We had the English League, the German League the Italian, Spanish, every big European league at some point we had. We had the Champions League. We had the French League. So I got to see all the teams and all the players. It, not to mention we had, we eventually had MLS. We had League MX at one point. We had certain teams from League MX. And then we also had almost every league from South America. We had Libertadores. So we called everything. So I don't know if it'll ever be that way again. I'm really fortunate to have gone through that because like within a week, I would call... 15 games. I mean, that's not exaggerating. It'd be 15 games from all over the world. So all, suddenly you're becoming well-versed in everything. And if someone asked me a question, I go, I saw it, I called it. And that was a, you know, that was a place where I, you know, dug my teeth in, but then the opportunity came for ESPN. I was actually approached by them to do the 2010 world cup. And then I went over there. And then when I got there, the timing was off where they said, our roster is full for the world cup. We don't really have a job. So I kind of pivoted and auditioned for their ESPN news to be one of their anchors, which is something I always wanted to do, but I still wanted to do soccer there because I had the equity built in it. So I did call a bunch of games, a lot of studio stuff, but it, it started getting away from that a bit. But I would say the time I spent there, because that place is bananas in a good way. Well, at least when I was there, I don't know how, I mean, I can't, uh, I can't talk to how it is now, but they would have coaches, they would have a coordinating producer. So every show they said, eh, this question was good. This one wasn't, they had these post meetings. So it's pretty intense. They have a coach on how to do interviews, which I still, I hear his words on how to do proper interviews, everything. And then I just got a lot better. And what I did, I was hamming it up a fair amount at Fox, even at the, near the end of it. So this really polished my craft and, um, that was eight years and nine years in total. And then I started doing some games. I was really eager to get back exclusively into soccer. I said, I did this, but I know this is what I want to do. And I want to get back to LA. And I heard LAFC came up. And I know at the beginning, you said, I've been here since the beginning. And I got to give respect to those guys who were here in 2015, 16, building it from scratch. And I wasn't here. And I, I can't say enough good things about what all those people did. Pat and Alex, Larry, Rich Orozco that were here from the beginning, Tom Penn, and built it to where it had, when I showed up in 2018, everything was, you know, the stadium was up, it was almost up, and they're building a team, and they had ambition, and uh, so I just knew this was a job I wanted, and I always tell folks that you always want to get a good gig, and you always like, why didn't I get it, why didn't I get it, and I said to myself, and I told my wife this, I go, I'm getting this job. And I'm going to do everything. And there's one story I share was there was a time I was in Connecticut and uh, 
I had a, a two days off and I go, I'm going to fly to LA. I'm going to meet with Tom and meet with Larry and just say, Hey, just check in. It was still years, a couple of years from when they were doing the games. And I said, I made it sound like I was in LA just by happenstance, but I really flew in to meet them. And if they canceled the meeting, I would have been screwed. I'd have to fly back for work, but I went there for a meeting or, okay, see you later and got the flight back there just to keep up appearances. And I would have never thought of doing that previously, but I knew this was a job I would regret if I didn't get. And I, I, but I, I even then I knew this was a, a desirable position. And I knew people probably all over the world were looking to get it. And they told me as much, but I was just relentless for the first time in my life, really, where I was like, no. And, and it was a, it was a good lesson. And uh, to see it end up the way it did and it's been really fulfilling. But even when you get a job like this, you have to remind yourself just because you got it, you've got to go above and beyond to keep it because this is a great position and they want to do things at the highest level. So I had to redefine what I did. It wasn't just calling games. It was starting a podcast. It was doing magazine shows, whatever, calling LAFC gaming. I mean, just anytime they asked me to do something, I said, yes, it got me to meeting the supporters, which was the most important thing. The relationship with Bob Bradley is first and the relationship with you guys and the supporters is right there. And I look back and I go, I think I didn't, I did it because I wanted to develop those relationships, but they've helped me do my job because anytime we need something, I know who's where and, and why it's important to them and how to handle it the right way without upsetting people at, at best you can. But these things hit you when you get older in your career that you want to do it the right way. I hope people do that. And I said, this is so important above and beyond everything you need to make sure that this is a, you squeeze it as best you can. It's funny you mentioned podcasts because I would listen to the Max and Herc podcast and Herc would always give it to you because you were, you would show some favoritism to LAFC, right? I don't think you had the gig at that point, but I thought you would bring up good points about the team. And I think Herc would agree, but he's, he's an antagonist and you know, I is. have a lot of respect for him. That's why, that's yeah. why the pod works. <laughs> yeah, right. No, and it, it was great. I, I thought, you know, you guys got into a good groove, but I was happy to see you on the LAFC team, so to, so to speak. But uh, I always wondered or hoped that, you know, Herc would be a good antagonist for you to have. And I know that he's participated in some stuff because when he does advocate for the team because he he calls it how he sees it, even for the Mexican league. I mean, that's what I like about him a lot. But I think you kind of brought that out to him and opened his eyes to it. I enjoyed that podcast as, as you transitioned to LAFC. And I would have stayed, that was the biggest regret to leaving. I mean, I got to do it for a little bit, but once we started moving further away, I knew that my time at ESPN would come to an end. And it did. I mean, I'm still good friends with Herc. You know, we respect each other a lot. I text him every day or call him. And when I need advice, I talk to him. And uh, he's a real good confidant, straight shooter. Uh, and But he started, you know, he also started to do the Ahora Nunca on Deportes. And, you know, he's blazed an incredible trail. And he really had to work hard for that. So I asked him, I go, hey, man, would you be interested in coming over to being the analyst? And he goes, I can't because the ESPN thing. And I go, yeah, I get it. But I mean, just it, who knows? I mean, that's someone I would... They don't grow on trees. Guys that are that good, who are Hispanic, who know, who shoot straight. I mean, so many people are, I mean, in every, in our soccer world, people don't call it as much as they, as I would like. And I know, and I'm, I'm guilty of it too. You play it real safe. You don't want to upset the powers that be at US soccer or MLS or any of these places because you deal with them and you, you don't want to make that relationship uh, complicated, but to call stuff out is, is difficult, but he does it all the time. And I, I, I wish there was, I wish we were more like him. I wish I was more like that. Yeah. I mean, it's the same thing almost like with us where we obviously love this club and we love what it stands for. And, but, and if there's an unpopular opinion, you kind of have to be very tactful in how it gets brought up because you don't want to come off as a negative critic or someone, you know, the people that are uneducated about their opinions, or they just make these comments that, that are just like way out of left field and, or un, unpopular opinions, I yeah. should say. A little trolling sometimes where they go. But, yeah. it's, but I, I get it, but it's, it, there's emotions involved with covering the team and you've got to, you, you balance that. And, and, you know, when you work for the club, I mean, things don't always go our way. And I remember Seth Burton, ahead of our communications, said it when we were going through 2019. He goes, there's going to be times where we're not going to have it this good. And we got to be prepared to present the club as best we can and keep people engaged and keep people excited. And it's tricky because you you can see the emotions and people are invested and uh, they are going to and I and I, I we welcome it. They want to air uh, their opinions. And sometimes they, it may be a little too aggressive, but many times it's pretty fair, but you've got to discuss it. And, you know, I defend the team in a lot of ways, but there's, they had some flaws where, you know, fans, if they were going to be critical of it, that's perfectly fine. And that's a sign of a good club, you know, that 
people care and they're going to they're going to still be engaged, but they're going to still have their opinions in there. I think that's a, a great sign. I think, yes, we'll save some of that for the uh, LAFC fans Facebook page, though, and maybe keep some of it out of the media content. perhaps. <laughs> but speaking of media content, you were involved in one of the first LAFC media icon moments in the cap tilt. And I'm very curious to hear the story behind the Max Barreros cap tilt. I was at ESPN and, and Tom Penn was there and he was working at ESPN still. And then we kind of said, we put like the ink dried on the, the contract. And he goes, we can do it. He goes, why don't you do a cap tilt here at the Sports Center studio? That'd be great. And I got to thank ESPN because they allowed me to do this and still do some part-time work. They could have said, okay, take the job. We'll get rid of your contract. They didn't do that. And they were very open and they worked with me to get that message out across. And I really appreciate them for doing that. So Tom was there and I grabbed the hat and I did it. I posted it and the reaction was amazing. And, you know, people I haven't heard from in a long time saying congratulations. And it's a, it was a great gig, but they were congratulating me like I won the Nobel Prize. To be it was a, they were like, oh, was it great? So it, it felt so big. You post things, nothing gets that reaction. And it was like retweets and likes. And it was, a, it, I, I was blown away. It comes part and parcel where you take a new challenge and people on social media would say congratulations, but it was also part that LEFC felt like such a big deal, which it is. And just being affiliated with that club, you know, lifted all the boats, including myself, and it, it went off great. So that was, I have that video. I'll pull it out from time to time, Jonathan. I'll see, you know, I'll pop it out and uh, it brings back some good memories. I remember what I was wearing, it was like a purple shirt and like a light blue purplish suit. And I had that hat. It, was the, it wasn't the good LAFC hat. It had the green bottom here. You know, we've upgraded to the good fitted hats now, the fitted caps. But uh, it was a great moment for me because I knew there was, I was beginning this new, exciting chapter coming back home, which is L.A. You know, my son was born here. My wife's from here. And uh, this was home for me for so long before I went to ESPN. And it was good to be back. How, how about we do some rapid fire here, Max? Favorite moments, your favorite call, your favorite game, uh, community moment and personal. You did say you, you can remember all the games you call. So I figured you have a, a memory of an elephant. Actually, I did not. I don't know if I said that. I, I remember. I don't remember. I, I, I'm really bad at remembering them. But the LAFC stuff sticks out, obviously, because of LAFC status. I don't get to call some of the the big games like the Galaxy games or even, you know, like the Portland games. But um, I remember the Dynamo game. I, I, I mentioned that in 2018 where it was raining and uh, it was we had the long stoppage and you usually when it rains as a broadcaster, you go, Oh man, I'm going to be here all night. For the first time in my career, I said to myself, I don't want to leave. If we're here till three in the morning, I'll be fine with it. And the rain came and people having a good time. And you had the feeling, I mean, Houston was winning one zero when we, the weather came and you had a feeling something was going to happen. I didn't know it was going to be, you know, Vela scoring this amazing goal. He scored two. And uh, they came, I think it was four one at the end or four two. So that one I always remember fondly. And then certainly the final game of 2019 where Carlitos broke the record three times. And to call that was a, you know, it, it, you knew that, you know, you had the ears of everyone. It was, a, it was against the Rapids and it was obviously a, a massive situation. And then also the supporter shields. I got to call that. It was against the Dynamo. And you knew, you, you, we were all there. And you knew there was something special in the air. And we're, it, was, it was that feeling of we're, because the Bank of California Stadium is amazing because it's small and it's very exclusive to whoever is in there to experience that. And we were all there and knowing that this game would win it would lead to this moment. I had no idea it was going to be, it would roll out the way it did. I could not believe my eyes. That was unbelievable to be part of. So those three, the list goes on. Even last year, there were some memorable ones because of just the, the historical significance of COVID and what we were going through and playing in empty stadiums and Going through all of that was, uh, it was very memorable. I mean, I won't forget it. I mean, it wasn't comfortable, but it's something that you'll remember that worked new muscles on how to broadcast because things, it was very delicate situation, not just with COVID, but the social movements that we were going through in the country at the time. I got to say, you know, Max, you know, your, your career has been great. It's touched a lot of different sports, but my favorite thing that you've done is the J. Jonah Jameson. When you talk about your uh, <laughs> your uh, parking, the parking in, in, in your neighborhood in Redondo Beach, that's got to be that's got to be some of the best stuff that I get from you all the time. Well, thank you very much. That'll go. And like if I ever make a Hall of Fame, I'll go. This is the Jimmy John Jacobson. And my poor son has to film that. 
So he's out there like, oh, my God, looking at his father with a wig and a bad suit jacket on. And I'm like, I put myself in his situation. If I was filming my dad, which would have never happened, my dad would have laughed that out of the room. And But uh, that's <laughs> it was kind of like we're bored. I go, I'm sick and tired. These, these people keep taking these two spots. So, you know, obviously it was tongue in cheek because there's a lot more serious stuff going on. So hopefully it brought some levity and some laughs to all of that. And, but that was actually prior to. And I like to try new things. Doing funny things is always frowned upon in this industry a lot of ways. And it shouldn't be because we're all having a good time watching this game. It's serious. We should be able to argue. We should be able to laugh. We should be able to get emotional during these games. And I'm up for all of that. I don't think it's a standard fair, but dot, dot, dot. It's uh push your emotions in every way. So whatever they are. So I'm, I'm an advocate of that. If it's wrong, then oh well. Speaking of which, shout out to security guard Paul. I think he gives you a lot of flack and uh, rightfully so. I think you're trying to take people's spots, Max. Hey, Chris, that guy makes me wait outside the performance center <laughs> for 10 minutes. Every time I ring the bell, he should let me in. He goes, who is this? And then I have to do the whole spiel. I go, you've got to be kidding me. I go, the, joke, <laughs> the joke's over. But I'll give him credit. He sticks to that joke all the time. And, and by the way, I haven't been in the performance center in about a year now. And I miss it. And I miss that man. He's a, he's a wonderful dude. And I, I hope I get to see him soon in some capacity where we get to back to normal where we can go there or see him even at the stadium, you know, where he's doing his job. <laughs> you know, I think he's uh, a social media star. <laughs> <laughs> so, you know, we see here that, uh, you know, one of the next things that we wanted to talk to you about was one of your infamous lines, the, yeah! But, I mean, you've had a couple of zingers, right? You've also had Carlitos, this is your city. I mean, what what does it feel like? Because those sound bites have traveled throughout games and throughout the folds of LAFC year by year. What is that like to know that 20 years down the line, those could still be reigning in notoriety, right? Like we could still be using those because they have meant so much to us. La Vela está encendida. <laughs> that will go down in history. Yeah. It's brilliant. Back, back in black. Of course, yeah. he, got, he got a few. By the way, Rich Orozco's nephew came up to me. We were in Portland, June of 2019, when they reopened their stadium. And he came up to me and goes, Hey, can I ask you a question? I go, sure. He goes, why do you say back in black? Isn't that, he goes, isn't that showing a little favoritism on the broadcast? And I go, I got to break something to you here. I work for the club, so it's okay. They're paying the checks. So uh, yeah, and uh, that's, uh, I. those things kind of came organically. I remember I tried to write things that I was going to say and I forced them early on. I go, it, don't, don't force anything. The only thing is, is yes, which I, I it was like a uh, response to, I would say goal and I didn't feel right, especially when I did it really long. I wanted something short and sweet and it may not be for everyone, but I got it from the uh, dart competitions. And when the guys are hitting their final dart, the broadcaster goes, he's looking for double 20. Yes. And that's where I got it from. And uh, I just, I put it in there and I say, don't use it all the time, but use it where it works. And it's, it kind of just lets me kind of blow off some steam when I'm really excited. So the important thing is, to have those calls that you hope would stand the test of time. But the important thing is after a goal call is to give those people context and tell them what was important about that goal. So that whatever you say, you can have a really cute or clever line and you could do something. Just make sure you tell people why that goal mattered or that why that red card or whatever it mattered. And uh, that's uh, those are the things that may not stand the test of time, but that I think that helps the audience more than anything else. But thank you for saying that. I really that's that's part of the fun part of calling games. You nowhere else can you do that. You have been very generous with your time this evening, sir. We sincerely appreciate you joining us. It has been an honor for all of us to speak with you this evening. We do have one final question for you tonight. Uh, it's the name of the show we ask every guest. That is Max Barredos. What does shoulder to shoulder mean to you, sir? Uh, shoulder to shoulder means to me that I'm not in this alone, that I am here with a club and it's important and people would go out of their way to look out for my best interests. And I would go out of my way to, to look out for theirs because we are connected by this club. It's black and gold, gold blood in your bloodstream. It happened quickly, but those that brotherhood and those connections have been firmed up in such a way where those words mean it. I mean, at first it was a slogan, but now it really means something. And, you know, when, when we're on a road trip or we're all together having a beer after the stadium, we are always shoulder to shoulder and we're looking out for each other. That's a really comforting feeling. That makes you feel good and makes you feel you're not alone in this. And that's what makes it important when you're shoulder to shoulder in the good times and you're shoulder to shoulder when you're 
in the not so great times and you're miserable, but you know, you can share that misery with people. And that's, that's really comforting. Well, thank you, sir, so much for joining us this evening. It has been, again, an absolute pleasure. Thank you, Mr. Max Bredos, for joining us this evening. Of course, you're all following Max's YouTube channel. I'm assuming you know he's the soccer OG. You're following <laughs> at M. Bredos, of course, as well, too. If you are not following all of those social media handles, subscribing to all those shows, liking them, giving them five-star reviews, well, A, what's wrong with you? But B, go out and do that if you have not done those things so thank you, sir, once again for joining us tonight. It has been a pleasure. I appreciate it. And I can't tell you to have an outlet to talk about what you've done is very rewarding. So I appreciate you guys giving me that time. It means a lot. And I would do it again in a heartbeat. So we'll do it again soon. Jonathan's for hire if you need an introduction at any time. <laughs> Dude, well, b- big things for everyone on this Zoom call right now. I guarantee you, big things. Yeah, but thank you again, Max. Have a good night. And, uh, you know, we look forward to seeing you again at the bank sometime this upcoming season. I really enjoyed it, gents. Pleasure. And we will see each other soon. You can bank on it. You can bank California on it. (laughs) Oh, there you go. There's the next catchphrase. Well, uh, and thank you. And I'm sure the invite, you know, to the next uh, heavy metal football game is uh, won't get lost in the mail this time. Will not. You're in for sure. First call I make. Brilliant. Brilliant. We would love to have you back on the show sometime in the future. Sure. We can dive into metal a little bit more because uh, we wanted to go down that path tonight. But uh, the game of footy uh, and some cricket and some rugby ended up taking our time this evening. But thank hey, you. If there's so. anything, I really enjoyed it. Like if you want to just something music, we could talk non-soccer. I'm down. I mean, there'd be a good conversation. It's fun to do. It's fun to talk. Well, thank you so much, Max, for joining us. That will do it for today's show. As always, please follow us on all your social media platforms at LAFCS2S. On behalf of Chris Christian, sound engineer Wilson, and myself, Jonathan, thank you for listening to tonight's show. Take us home, sticks. Shoulder to shoulder. Together, this our culture. Feel the force of a supernova. Stay flying that FC dorsum. Hey, shopping down to Nikki's Koreatown Liddy. Cape us old mommy, about to drop her fifth. They won't need to stop, but I ain't. Come to my house, I'll defend that bank.